in the history of TED Talks. You've heard of TED Talks. Uh, one of the most famous and most watched of all the TED Talk videos is also one of the shortest. A guy by the name of Derek Sivers did one that was called, he titled, How to Start a Movement. And in order to illustrate that, and some of you may have seen it, he's, um, he, he used raw amateur footage uh, that, were taken, that was taken at an outdoor concert. And I'm going to show you the actual footage that he used in that, okay, because what you're going to see is it starts with one lone guy dancing to the music. He's by himself. He's probably fueled by alcohol. He's not discernibly good at it, but he is unfazed in his exuberance. Then what happens is a second guy comes and joins him, and they say that that guy's very important because it transforms him from a lone nut into a leader. That guy then has such a good time that he waves on some of his friends. Now, there's only two guys there dancing, but a couple other guys, then another guy joins in. <laughs> and before long, it looks like it's more interesting. Now, in, a few, in, a, in just a few seconds, and a couple other guys are going to join in, joined by a few other guys, and now you've got momentum. Now there's a tipping point. Now there's something going on, and people begin to notice and say, if I don't get in on this, I'm going to be on the outside looking in. There's something going on. What you're going to see here is about the next 90 seconds of this footage is going to be speeded up, and you're going to see a transformation happen. From the time it starts with one guy to the time it ends, there are literally hundreds of people making absolute idiots of themselves but having the time of their life on a hillside at a concert. And that is how you start a movement, they say. When we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see something that starts with about 120 people in a group following some strange guy from the Middle East. By the time the book of Acts, there are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who are now part of that movement. Something has made that happen. You sit here today as part of that movement. That movement has continued for more than 2,000 years. It happens, I believe, to be part of the main reason is because it happens to be the truth. It happens to be God's way. It happens to be God at work. But there's something that goes on, goes on that makes that or facilitates that movement. And the book of Acts kind of does that. It accomplishes this by, in, in, last week we talked about, focused on, this secret weapon that God introduced that people were not ready for, and he said, wait, don't start this thing until this happens. And it was the dispensing, the saturating, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That What it basically meant is God's temple is going to move. It's going to be moved from one central location, and he's going to actually dive into your soul. God himself, in the form of his spirit, is going to come into every follower of Jesus who lives, who exists. If you have crossed the line of faith, you are a follower of Jesus, you walked in today carrying God with you in your soul. The Old Testament saints did not have that privilege. And he goes on to say that there's going to be a power that comes with that, that God is going to use for those who will follow him and obey him, that he's going to fill and energize us to see this thing happen. From the start to the end of the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit is manifested, and it begins that process. Now, just as a reminder of that, there, there is, he's going to do that through a mechanism, and God says, I'm going to bring, the, the, the vehicle in which this movement is going to happen is going to be 
what he calls, what Jesus called the church. And you may recall in Matthew 16, Jesus introduced this concept. The church did not exist. There were worship centers, but the church as the gathering and the dynamic of followers, basically the God carriers getting together, doing things together in his name, he says, I'm going to establish that as my mechanism, and the gates of hell will not be able to hold back the power to release people from prison as a result of it. In Matthew, he foretells it and he says it. By the time we get to Ephesians, the apostle Paul is gonna, is gonna say that how that is the designation. In Ephesians 3, he says his intent was that now. Again, this is, remember that there's one big story to all of the Bible. It's one story. And the whole story, I've suggested to you a way to say that is, is the making and the redeeming of God's kingdom. You were intended for it. We're intended to see what life is like under a God who is good and God who is pure and what life is, and we wrecked it up and God has been redeeming it ever since, restoring his kingdom. It'll go on into eternity. It's one big story. And what Paul says is his intent in that story was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, basically both creatures on earth, creatures in heaven is going to have on display what God's wisdom, what his great plan was according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus comes to be the sin eater, the sin absorber, the the one whose resurrection power takes your death penalty, gives you freedom and acceptance and forgiveness with our God and now you're restored to that kingdom that will last forever. As that's going on, we get to the book of Acts, and what we're going to see here is the mobilization of that message. So that if, and I'm going to be all over the place in the second part of Acts today, so I'm going to put some of these on the screen. You can look at them if you like, completely up to you. But if you have access to a Bible, I encourage you to look it and read it for yourself. We're only going to fly over it. But in Acts 13, as part of a message... This is what's said. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. So this is a summary of what's going on. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. This is, this is not just good news. This is the best news ever. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you the followers of Jesus I have made you who have come to know him. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. So it's not just like we heard. It's not just Israel. This is for the entirety of the human race. One big group of recipients. A light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation. See where you bring it? To the ends of the earth. Every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every shape and color of person there has, has one king and there is one kingdom and the, the message is going to be brought through the vehicle of the church. Powered by the Holy Spirit until the whole world has opportunity to recognize and respond to that. And so we're going to get, starting verse, with verse, chapter 13, a handful of things. And I'm just going to give you a, a handful of observations from the second half of the book of Acts, borrowing from a couple other places to see the pattern. Things that we can observe about how this happened, how, it start, how the movement started. By the time we're done, by the way, and like always, this is not just a history lesson. If you walk out of here with more history about Israel, that's nice, but I will not have done my job. We need to understand that you are part of the story. What, what does this have to do with you? What does it have to do with me? And hang on tight because it has a lot to do with us right here. Foothills Church, this has to do with you. 
and specifically as a church, why you're here. So what here, I'm going to give you a handful of observations. I'm going to make a statement, follow up, just take a quick look at Scripture, and, and then draw some applications. Here's the first observation we're going to see from the book of Acts, and it is this, that even when carrying and wielding the Holy Spirit's power, which we've seen is substantial, taking territory for God's kingdom is a difficult adventure and it is full of ups and downs and highs and lows and wins and losses. We shouldn't be surprised at that. A lot of you have got, how many of you have gone to a sporting event in the last month? Sporting event, high school, college, watch a pro, pro game, anything, okay. How many of you ever have gone to one? Okay. I stopped going because for me, it's always very painful with the teams I root for. I just never have any fun. I, I saw the Mets play twice in LA, once in San Diego last year. I'm a Mets fan from New York. They were so pummeled that I finally said, I feel like I handed people sharp objects, I told them to whip me with them, and then I gave them $150 for the privilege. That's kind of what it felt like. I, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. But if you go to most sporting events, you see a series of things as a fan. You see times when something exhilarating happens and you shout, yay! And then there are other times when something terrible happens, you go, oh, right? You've done that. We've all done that. It can happen multiple times. The advance of the kingdom of God, what you and I are actually set to see happen, is full of those kinds of moments over and over and over again. And I want you to notice something when we see these passages. Every one of these is happening in the context of God by his spirit empowering these people. God himself is with them. I'm going to say this again later. I would expect that it would be a string of great victories, wouldn't it? Who can stand against God? But keep this in mind, that the kingdom of God advancing, even with the Holy Spirit's power, is going to encounter a whole lot of that. In Jerusalem happened, you know, everybody talks about Acts chapter two, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and people, and we're gonna see this in a little bit, uh, people are hearing the message and, in their own language, and there's signs and wonders, and thousands, 3,000 in one day come to know him. And then, that's chapters two and three, and it's full of stuff, and then you get to chapter four, make a note about chapter four, everything goes south. Suddenly there's opposition. Suddenly they pay a price for it. Suddenly things grind to a halt for a while. Then they go forward again. Then they come back again. I want you to see how that happened over and over again. So Paul, you saw, heard from these missionary journey, they call them. I, by the way, I, I want to redefine that word because when I hear that, I, I don't think that applies to me. Okay, we'll get to that. He goes out to plant churches to take this message. And he goes to this, his first, one of the first towns he goes to is a town called Pisidian Antioch, not far from where they were before. Now look, now look at this. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to see yay and awe all at the same time. Watch. And this is Acts 13, verse 43. They went there. They preached. Many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. Yay. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, honored the word of God, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Woo. Yay. Verse 50, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. Ah. They go to Iconium, chapter 14. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively, a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Yay! But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Ah. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. 
Ah, but they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. All right, we're going to go fast. Here we go. In Lystra, there was a, a man crippled his feet. He was lame from birth, never walked. He looked directly and saw, and he, saw his fa- he had the faith to be healed. Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Yay. But then Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas fled for Derby. They preached the good news to the city and won a large number of disciples. Okay, now we get to Thessalonica. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. Yay! But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot from the city. Ah, oh. One more, Berea. They received the message with great eagerness, examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did a prominent number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Yay! When the Jews in Thessalonica, remember what happened there, learned what, that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Ah, oh, this pattern happens over and over and over again. It has always happened. It still happens. There's a lesson here. Keep in mind, all of this is happening in the context of God's power being divested into the carriers of God doing his work, doing what he wants to have done, and yet all this is happening. And the lesson is that kingdom progress, spiritual success, is not marked, nor should it be measured by uninterrupted victory. You're going to hear in circles people in the name of Jesus who say, you can live in victory, perpetual victory. Sign me up. I would like to live in perpetual victory. And if the Holy Spirit's power is on you and with you, you will have victory. Yes, sometimes. But keep in mind that that the kingdom moves forward, but it involves frustrations and setbacks and failures because there's three factors that are always still involved until the king himself returns in flesh and ushers in his new kingdom and eradicates sin. One is we are still living under a curse. The world you inhabit is still cursed. It's still uncooperative. It's both in the cosmos and in personal lives. It is uncooperative. It's under the rule and authority of another one. There, we also have an enemy who is still very much at work to subvert what God wants to do. And here's, the, here's a biggie. We're still dealing with human will because, see, God is a gentleman. And God loves unconditionally. And God draws and God entices and God says, come to me. He gives offers of invitation. But God will never superimpose his will over your will. He will respect you and your decision. He made you in his image to have a will to choose. He wants you to choose to follow him. He wants the world to choose to bow to him. He's not just going to force your knees to the ground. And as long as that is true... God, who could do it if he wanted to, has decided to allow his kingdom to advance by the choice of people to willfully bow to him in this age. That has applications for us. It has applications for how churches look at what happens in them. 
Is the church growing? Is it having impact? Are we seeing things happen? You know what? In even the best of churches, there are going to be times where it really takes a hit, where it encounters hard times, where it goes through really, really rough patches, where there are setbacks. Does that mean the Holy Spirit's not with that church anymore? Well, was the Holy Spirit not with the apostles anymore? Of course he was. It's part of the battle we're in. It's part of why we're called to have faith and have, have perseverance. There are applications of that for, for people who want to see lives change. There's some of you whose children are wandering far from God and you've given up hope. And you think they're lost and they're gone. And the story's not over yet. And you think, where is God in this? Why isn't God involved? Why isn't God doing something? Is God gone? Or is God still active? And for some of us in the room, this has application for the kingdom moving in our own souls and lives. There's some of us in the room who've dealt with the same addiction over and over and over again for years. No one knows about it or few do. You've stumbled again recently. You've begun to wonder whether it's always going to be like this. And you wonder, where's God? I've asked him. I've begged him. Would you please change this? Would you bring about good? Don't you want this? I want this to be no longer have control over me. But God is very much in the middle of that process. And his spirit is very, very active in, the, in that process. Eugene Peterson just passed away in the last couple of weeks. A writer of the, the message, the paraphrase of the Bible that many of us have been blessed by. And I've studied him as a pastor Remarkable guy. And he wrote a book where he borrowed the the title from Nietzsche, of all people. And he talked about what it means to follow God and his ways, and he called it a long obedience in the same direction. Transforming book for me. That's not very sexy. Doesn't sell a lot of, you know, you don't sell out seminars about your best life whenever. But it's the way of God. The way the kingdom advances is slowly through the process in the middle of battle and that territory is taken. And some of us say, I'm no further along now than I ever was. But you know what? By the t- from the time that all this is happening in the book of Acts, but from the time the book of Acts starts to the time it ends, which is not that long, a, a, a few decades, maybe at the most, you have seen transformative hack things. You have seen the culture change, the tipping point that will eventually get to Rome and eventually spread Christianity to the ends of the earth. This is why I would, would you encourage you to journal now and then. Some of you hate doing it. Some of you do it now. I'd encourage you just to make some notes about what you struggle with, what you're asking God to do. Put it down. Put it away for a while. But go back and read it. If you do journal, I would encourage you, go back three years and read your journal. Some of the things that were issues then are still issues now, and there are other things you're going to go, huh. You know what happened? You'll go, that's different now. I'm in a different place now. Something good happened out of that. That doesn't have the control on me or the person around me for some of that stuff. And you'll say, when did that happen? And when you ask the question, when did that happen, you know what's happened? God has reserved the glory for himself in that. It's him doing it. You don't take the credit because if you could look at it and go, I said this thing and things changed, guess who'd get the credit? You would. Well, I would take it. I don't know if I'd get it, but I would take it. I'm prone to do that. When you're a carrier of God's spirit, he will do his work, but that does not mean there won't be ups and downs, 
market fluctuations. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope about that. Keep investing. Stay faithful. It is not an indication that God is not with you or that he's not active, that he's not going in the direction that will bear fruit. That's one observation. We'll talk more about that. Let's go to a second one. Here's, a, here's how, here, how I'd say this one. God intends his transforming message to be delivered in the language of those needing to hear it on the turf of those needing to hear it. Let me say that again. God intends for his transforming message, what he gave to the, the church, to be delivered in the language of those who need to hear it and on the turf of those who need to hear it. Now, you know, you're, you've been, if you've been around church, you know that what happened at Pentecost. This is Acts 2 earlier. And the Holy Spirit comes down, and this is the moment where the big reveal happens, and he goes, I am diving headlong into you. You are now my temple. He gives a sign of it, what I believe is the sign of the Shekinah glory, uh, described as tongues of uh, fire over them. It's like the Shekinah glory that said, indicates where God is. And then this stuff happens. And they all start talking, and people, and all, it's a very eclectic group from all kinds of trade languages and stuff around. And all of a sudden, everybody starts hearing them proclaiming the message of the risen Messiah in their own tongue. Some of them think these people are all high or drunk, which is what, you know, some, I don't know what's going on here. And this is what it says in, in chapter 2 There was staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound. There was a roaring sound when he came. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. This is what verse 12 says. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Peter answers the question by saying, okay, let me tell you what this means. Because you're going to hear the message of Jesus Christ in in, in your primary language in a way that you can understand. And that... So from, from moment one, get this, from moment one of the church being given a commission to what to do for, with this, what, they've, what they've been given, from the very first moment, it's translate this, speak the language of the people who need to hear it. Help them hear it in ways that they can understand it. And that is repeated over and over again. In the second half of the book of Acts, some weird stuff happens with circumcision, and I'm not gonna, okay? But Timothy... Timothy is not circumcised. He's going to be trying to reach Jewish people. He's, he's a hybrid. He's actually got a Jewish, one Jewish parent, one Gentile parent. In chapter 16, Paul came to Derby, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. It wasn't out of fear of the Jews. It was to communicate on their turf, to say, I'm going to come in among you and your lifestyle. But make no mistake, this was not because you had to be circumcised. That was, the, that was going to get discussed. That had just been discussed in the Jerusalem council. You don't have to get circumcised, but he says, but I'm going to do whatever it takes. Remember, Paul later on says this. He says, I, to the circumcised, I'll become circumcised. To those without the law, I'll become like that. I will do I will all things to all men so that by some means I can win some. He never compromises the message, but the delivery system has to be changed to speak their language. And then we, this is what they had said in Acts, just to make clear, in Acts 15, the council had said, in my judgment, I love this phrase, Don't, we, should, we, know, we shouldn't ask these people to jump through hoops to become like us in order to hear the message of Jesus, the non-Jews. It's about circumcision. In my judgment, therefore, 
This is James speaking, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I think churches could adopt this as a rallying point for what you do in your community. We should not make it difficult because God is going to work. Let's not make it difficult for these people. How could we make it difficult? Well, we require them to act like us. We require them to come to us. We require them to talk like us, to look like us, to get their act together a little bit, to not come in and dirty things up by being who they are. We should not make it difficult for people to come to God, the people who are turning to God. And I just want to read you this. Sorry, if I'm a little late today, I I can't wait for communion, but I'm telling you. This is one of my favorite passages in Acts 17. Paul the Apostle goes into Athens, and he encounters a culture. Now, now first of all, just the, the going. The Macedonian call, by the way, is come here to us. Not, hey, we're coming your way. Get ready. We want to hear what you have to say. Come to us. And God says, mobilize, guys. Get out from among here. He even caused persecution to happen just to kick them out of Jerusalem. Get out there to where the people who need to hear the message are living. So he goes into Athens, which is a very cosmopolitan area. They've got a temple there that they think they're, they're very proud of because they said, we are so inclusive. You think inclusion, you think that word is new? <laughs> it was right there in Athens, man. Oh, man, we love inclusion. We, we, and they have a, in the temple in Athens, I'll just summarize here, in the Areopagus, They've got all the known religions of the world and they've got all of them represented and they got tributes to all of them. It's fantastic. And they go, see, you can, we love everybody here. Paul goes, in, what, it's polytheism. I mean, it's, it's a direct violation of how God wants us to live. But Paul doesn't go in there and go, what is the matter with you people? I cannot believe that you're polytheists. Well, of course they're polytheists. They don't know their true God. What would he expect them to be? Does he expect them to be like him? That's why he's there. And they bring him there and they have these little like TED Talks, basically, where people can stand up and give their spiel and and they invite him to do it. And then let me just read you from verse 22, if you follow along. Paul Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. You know what the first thing he does is he compliments them for their polytheism. <laughs> kind of. He, you know what he does? He finds common ground. He says, I see something underneath this. You've got a d- desire. You're religious. You, you're wondering what's true. As I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. The reason they did that was they figured just in case They didn't have them all represented. It's like the tomb to the unknown soldier. We want to represent those two. So no one feels left out. Here's the one to the unknown God, the one we don't know about, but everybody's welcome. And you see what he does? He leverages what they know. He meets them where they are, and he says, now what you worship is something unknown. That's what I'm here to talk about. And he says, the God who made the whole world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by hands. He goes on to proclaim the uncompromised message of one God, true God. What Paul does there is a perfect example of what we should be asked to do. Don't ex- Here's the lesson. Don't expect or demand those who God wants to reach to talk or behave or act or come to us. We need to go to them. 
relate to their world. I really was embarrassed to be a Christian this week for a little bit, kind of embarrassed. Because I saw that Lauren Daigle, who is a Christian artist, and you may know her music. She's been done a lot of stuff we do in churches these days. Lauren Daigle did a performance on the Ellen DeGeneres show. She was invited to go on there, and she did a song from her new, which just dropped the last couple months. And uh, the song is called Still Rolling Stones. She performs it. And after she was done, the Christian community, or portions of it, began to attack Lauren Daigle and say, how dare you go into the environment where somebody who is a known lesbian, which is opposed to what we understand the Bible to say, and who has been historically not especially a friend to church or our views on political issues, how dare you go and compromise to go and and be on her show? And I said, oh, heaven help us. I kind of remember somebody else who got criticized for doing that. Somebody else who got criticized for going into places where people who were really just not, they weren't repentant. They just went in and hung out with these people. In fact, the derogatory term, you're acting like you're a friend of sinners. Ellen DeGeneres gave everybody in the studio audience a copy of her CD. That means the gospel message penetrated into people's players who never, probably ever, would have invited it. But they cheered it and they welcomed it. I'll just say this quickly. Attractional evangelism, the thing that says, we're going to set up shop and we're going to do this cool stuff and we're going to tell the world, come in and see how cool we are. Come in and see how good we are. Come in and be like us. That is not what the book of Acts did. They were not, they were not worried. It's not to say that can't happen, but the primary way it happens is you go to speak the language of the people and you get to the uncomfortable environments of people who don't want anything to do with it and that's where you turn on the light. Where, do you, where does the light need to be shown? In the darkness. But what that means is we have to rethink some of our style. Some of our insider language that, by the way, we all use and we don't even know it sometimes. The us-them mentality. The thing that says we're here and we got it right and other people are wrong and our... And, Making our preferences our doctrines is something we need to be really careful about. Foothills, you can do this collectively as a church to say, we're not going to exist to just try to get people to come in these doors. We're going to go out, and, and when, we, they are, when they do come in these doors, we're going to speak a language that people fully understand. I, when we were planting our church, people asked us, are you a secret church or are you a believer church? What kind of church are you? And I never liked that designation. I always felt like if I'm doing this right, if we're doing this right, God's truth should be able to penetrate to the person whether they have known Jesus Christ for 50 years or somebody who's never heard his name before and it should make sense to them. And if there are parts that we need to explain, we'll explain it. I don't like the designation. You, we, this church has an opportunity to be that in a community and that means we have to re- release some of our preferences for the way we'd like it to sound or the way we'd like to talk or what our little insider language is. Oh, man, I could go on about that. I got here. And I, I'll, I'm going to come back in a few weeks, so I don't want everybody to be mad at me. <laughs> Here's the third observation. 
and this is a soapbox for me, so I'm going to try to do this quick and then get done. Establishing new churches. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. The missionary journeys, it's church planting. Is what it, it's church planting. Establishing new churches is God's primary plan to reach the world and has always been the most effective means to do so. Here's what I want you to see about these people. They did not just go out to evangelize. They did not, they did not just go out to say, somebody needs to say to people that Jesus is the Messiah. They went out with an intention. That was they were going to establish outposts, collections. In the video, they call them Jesus communities. I like it. They were churches. Now, not churches with steeples, not churches with light hierarchy, but they were organized. They were churches. And, and the church, as I read scripture, I see the church, what the church how the, here's how the church is different than just a handful of believers together. The church has got three things, we sometimes say the three E's, that it does collectively for the purpose of establishing and building the kingdom. Exaltation together, and exaltation, which is connecting with God. Edification, which is building each other up in the faith. And evangelism, which is going out and spreading out to get the gospel out. Churches need to have, every church should have that, it, it's their mission statement in one form or another. Fully functioning churches, that's what they do. That's what these guys were doing. They were not going out just to go in the street corners and say, I need to tell you about Jesus. You should pray this prayer with me. They were saying, no, God wants to, you know what, and when they did that, it was a lighthouse got established in a place where it had been dark. And they would establish a lighthouse. They'd go on and they establish another lighthouse. Let me show you what I mean. Here's Acts 14. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Do you remember those names? <laughs> okay, things had not gone well all the time. But they went back to those places, strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed, look what he did, elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They didn't just go in and go out. They had, it was organized. They had them functioning together. They were making sure that those three E's were happening in their midst before they'd move on. In Acts 15, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, this is right before they split up and went two different, and they became church planters with new partners. Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And it says later on, he went through Syria and Cilicia. What was he doing? Strengthening, see, the churches. They were planting lighthouses and outposts of the gospel. And it says in, the, in, in chapter 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew in numbers daily. Now they say that, I've, I'm no expert on this, but studies have been done about if you want to fill a, a, an open area like the, like the outdoor concert in the video with sound, there's a couple different ways you can do that. You can build high stacks of, of uh, speakers on the stage and let it project as far as it can go. Or you can do less of those and you can spread them out through the crowd sequenced. And it's said that you have three decibels of sound louder per for the same um, amount of power to do the latter, to have it spread out. And it's more effective. The sound is better quality when it's spread out like that than with one giant set stack of speakers. But you say, well, I see giant stacks of speakers all the time at rock concerts, right? You know why? Primarily why? It's easier and it looks cool. That's it. It's not necessarily because it's high. And some of the times they're not really especially worried about the quality of all the sound. It's just the amount. And here's the lesson. 
And this is where I'm on the soapbox because I'm going to tell you in a minute why I'm no longer a lead pastor of a church. It's because I've stepped, God has invited me to step into a different role now. Dollar for dollar, ounce for ounce, more people are reached for the gospel, with the gospel, through intentional planting of new churches than any other method or means, period. Open air campaigns, media, distribution of literature, people on street corners, door to door witnessing, dollar for dollar, ounce for ounce, more people are reached for the gospel when new churches are planted, far more than one church getting big, far more. And you know what? It's not even close. It's not even close. They knew in Acts what they were doing. God was saying, go spread out the speakers. Go establish outposts. I'll get in trouble saying this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Church growth, it's a big phrase. Church growth has never been a principle of the New Testament. I'm not saying churches didn't grow. It was never the focus of the church was to grow, let's grow this church bigger. It was always an, an after effect of what God did. And there were some bigger churches, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be big churches. But church growth was never the focus. Church expansion was the focus. Church planting was the focus. Go to places where the light is not shining and get, let's get a, an outpost. Let's get a lighthouse there. When we live in kingdom community, people will be drawn. But we look to spread that community out. And that, what that means is a couple things. Every, every, I believe this. Every outpost of the gospel that exists, if it's doing what it's supposed to do, if it's going to live the principles that God established for the spread of his message in the book of Acts, should always be actively involved in planting on the next one. As soon as I say that, you go, whoa, whoa hang on a second. And I'm, by the way, I'm not just talking about giving budget to missionaries. I'm talking about actively looking where the next outpost can happen in your vicinity or through your connections. We always look to spread the community that way. I am in, I'm in a, now in a role, okay? I've been a, I was a lead pastor for a, a church planter, but then a lead pastor for almost 25 years. And now my role is to equip, to, to find the next generation of church leaders and pastors and planters, to recruit them, to train them, to coach them, to help churches get ready to do that. Here, I'm going to show you, this is something I use when I'm with churches. You may not be able to read all that, but I'll just summarize for you. To say, if there is any, when I'm in churches, to talk about what their mission is, we say, one of these five levels, we call it, of a church being involved in church planting should be where you land. One of them should be. And, and adopting is where there's something going on outside an area, but you say, we're, we're going to get behind it in prayer and giving, and we're going to support that. We're not just going to give money. We're gonna, it's going to be our thing. The, the second one is sponsoring, where you, where you raise up somebody and you, and you send them out to a different area. Partnering is where more than one church does it because they may not have all the resources to do so. Birthing is where you send somebody out from your own place in, in, the, in an adjacent community. And multiplying is where you become a center where you're training people to come rise up and do this. Here's what I say to churches, and I'm going to say it to yours. If we're living the book of Acts, every church should be somewhere on that spectrum. And as soon as you say, oh, but wait a minute, we don't have a pastor right now. Wait a minute, we don't have the budget right now. Wait a minute, we're not big enough right now. Look at the churches that were established in the book of Acts in the New Testament. 
struggling little outposts. They're a handful of people, and they were giving and serving and going out, and they're sending their brightest and their best to the next community. Well, how can we survive? Remember who you're carrying? Remember that this is not just your project. This is the heart of Almighty God. He gets kind of excited when he sees people do this. He gets involved in it. And I'm not here to, to, to beat you up if that's not happening. But here's what I will say. Some of the young people sitting here, not just the young people, some of you, if you listen to the nudge of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be the next guy or girl. Some of the people sitting in the room, you're going to be the next core to go out from here. Sometimes this needs to happen not from the pastor of the church or the pastors of the church, but from within the church to say, there's an area where I live and we need to do something. Let's, let's, let's plant a church there. If we're living this out, we can't slow it down because it'll bubble up because we're listening to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Believe me, he's nudging. Believe me, his voice is going to call. This is what it's all about. We strengthen the body, yes. We work on the health of the, of the people in the base. But simultaneously, we're always somewhere in the process of asking God to bring to put a new outpost out there because that is the absolute best way the kingdom expands. And when we do that, understand, okay, we just saw how there were ups and downs and swings and all this kind of stuff, but understand, oh, we will see impact. We will see God move. Look at the, you heard it, but here's the last part of the book of Acts. I want you to know, this is Paul saying, or Luke is talking about this. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And then it says, boldly and without hindrance, he, Paul, preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. He was under house arrest, but he was still doing it. We're gonna have communion in a minute. And Jesus said, when he left, he said, We're gonna, you guys eat all the time, but this is my last time to eat and drink with you. And when you get together, I want you to remember why I'm not there. I want you to remember that what people do in community, the, my kingdom is, I'm, the reason I'm not there is because I'm going to sacrifice this body and this blood for you. And he says, I won't do it again until we do it again in the kingdom, right? That's what he says. Until we eat and drink again in the kingdom. And here, until that time, there's a reason why it doesn't happen immediately. It's because there's some empty chairs around that table. There are people God really misses. He wants there to be at that table. He wants there to be ample time for them to hear and be restored because of their trust in him and his death, burial, and resurrection. We need, can we remember this? Just let me say it to you again. Expect the kingdom's progress in your life, in this church, around you to be, have its ups and downs and its highs and lows. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean you're not making progress. Stay faithful. Hang in there. Keep trusting. Keep praying. Keep obeying. Here's the second thing. Learn the language and speak the language of those we're trying to reach. Meet them on their turf. Be willing to be uncomfortable to go into the areas and, and, and locations and with people who you don't especially feel drawn to for the sake of saying, this is what God has commissioned us to do. Shine the light where it's darkest. And then consciously commit to plant new outposts of the kingdom. Never stop being involved with that. And then watch God's Spirit do the acts. See, they call it the acts of the apostles. Some call it the acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what they can call it next? 
the acts of the body of Christ, the acts of Foothill Church. This, this is still being written. It's being written through us. Pray with me. Oh, God, we, we see some of the stories in the book of Acts, and we, we just, it's amazing. And we say, yeah, I wish that stuff, I could experience some of that. God, we trust that you want to make impact today in, the, in very similar ways. That your spirit resides in us as much as he resides in those who these words were written about. I pray that the next chapter could be written right here and is being written right here among this group of people for communities outside here, for peop- people who are far away from you that we care about but we've not seen any progress in. We're asking you to mobilize us and use us, empower us and fill us to say and represent and go to accomplish your purposes. Until that day, God, where some, there are people who aren't seated at the table we're about to share in yet but who will join us because you're still at work. Make that so. We pray through your son.